Welcome to Take the Stage and my special series, Ladies Who Rock. I'm your host, Alexis Alvarez. Ladies Who Rock is dedicated to all those rock star women who have progressed in industries or roles that have been historically underrepresented by women. You're going to learn who they are, their career paths, and most importantly, what makes them rock stars. Today on Take the Stage, our special Lady Who Rocks guest is Rocio Erez. Rocio is the Managing Director at Altamar Cam Capital Partners. Rocio has accomplished a lot since joining Altamar in 2008. She is currently co-head of the New York office and a member of Altamar's 10-person U.S. investment team. She has led an extensive number of deals in the U.S., Latin America, and Europe, focusing on GP-led restructurings in the lower middle market. Rocio, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Alexis, for inviting me to join you and want to be here with you guys. So, Rocio, you're somewhat of a unique guest. You're not just a rock star. You're an international rock star. <laughs> so for the last six years, you've called New York your home. You're an adopted New Yorker, but you're originally from Spain. So my question is, how does a girl from a small region in Spain, from a completely different culture and language, not only make her way to the U.S., but also become a senior female leader in New York City. Walk us through your career and kind of tell us a little bit about that. Yes, of course. And I think I ended up being in New York as a little bit of luck and a little bit of hard work because I grew up in the north of Spain in a little town called Oviedo in Asturias. And I studied business. And obviously, I always wanted to be a businesswoman, but I didn't know what I wanted to do in my future, but I knew that it was related to business. Through a person that is now my mentor, I learned about private equity and what private equity meant and the reality of that type of asset class. So I decided to move to Madrid and join Altamar as an analyst. But I always dreamed about living abroad because I started one year in Finland while I was doing my business degree. And I always wanted to have an international career. So while I was in Madrid working from Altamar, the opportunity to move to Chile came up. I never thought that Chile could be such a wonderful experience to me. I relocated to Chile and helped Altamar to set up the office there. I always wanted to be an investment professional. So I moved to Chile being an investment professional and investing in private equity, but not only Latin America, but I ended up also covering the U.S. market. And that was something that I never thought about when I was moving to Chile, but it happened. And I was really happy covering that market. Obviously, I was an European and I was learning about investing in Latin America and North America. So I was really interested in doing so. After five years in Chile, I decided that I wanted to prove something else. Altamar wanted to open an office in New York City. And for me, it was really a natural move because I was already covering the U.S. market from Chile, traveling once a month or so. It was not like a new job for me. So I decided that it would be a really good opportunity. Obviously, anyone that works in finance would love to live in New York City. And even if it was a little bit scary at the beginning because Chile was kind of easy because of the language, I decided that it was a really good opportunity and moved to New York City to help them to set up the office and start being the relationships in New York City. Obviously, you know, New York is not an easy city to be a foreigner in, but I think it's really interesting. I learned a lot and I made it through 
the difficult situations. And I think it was a really great opportunity for me. That's very exciting. And there's lots of questions that come to my mind when I think of just being outside of comfort zones. Because you're someone, obviously, if you've come from a small town in the north of Spain and you move to a big city like Madrid, and then you go halfway across the world to another continent, and then you make your way to another continent and in a completely different language, then obviously you're probably living the last, you know, (laughs) the first, let's say, five to 10 years of your career outside of your comfort zone for many different reasons that I can also relate to just given my international experience. But when I look at your career, And with everything that I know that it takes to kind of build a career in this space, there are three challenges, perceived challenges, and that you touched on. But one is being a foreigner. Two is being a woman in this space because it's far and few. Both of these things are not necessarily inviting of either in this particular space. So did you ever feel that you were limited by these things? Let's start with that. I have a follow-up question for that. But did you ever feel that you were limited by this? Yes, both of them. Obviously, you know, when you sit in a room with a lot of male colleagues, it's difficult, you know, to don't feel a little bit weird among all of them. But I think you need to learn how to overcome that and feel that you are not worse or better than them, but it's just the same. Even if you are not the same, but just try to learn to overcome it. And the other situation, and this is particularly in New York City, not in Chile, though, it's being a foreigner. Because obviously I have an accent. My English is not perfect. It's good enough, but it's not perfect. And I can't get rid of my accent. And you can feel that, right? Like you can feel that at the very beginning, I was a little bit ashamed of being, you know, admittance and being the one that has an accent or doesn't have the perfect English. But then you learn how to overcome it as well, right? Like at the end, it's a matter of you are not worse than them than the others because you have an accent. But on the contrary, I mean, you are trying to make it through that and be successful. So I think obviously at the very beginning, you feel both things, but you just have to work hard and try to think that doesn't mean anything. I remember when I was deciding to move to New York, someone that I really appreciate and has been really good to me told me, you have an accent, you're a woman. And obviously, you know, at some point you will feel that you are less than others among people that have perfect English and they know how to speak better than you do, but you are better than them because you are at least trying. And I think that was really, really important to me. I work really, really hard. And I'm really, really happy of what I got from all my experiences, both in Chile and New York, obviously. So what do you think? Like you said that it's hard not to be intimidated, but you have to kind of overcome that. So what kind of technical skills and maybe personal skills do you think that you needed personally to have? And what would you share for others that could be in that space? What do you think is kind of required to be able to overcome that? The first thing that I've done when I was preparing a meeting, is that obviously you need to spend more time than others. And by the way, I mean, I always spoke good English, but I have to say that when I first got to New York City, I had headaches for two months because I always worked in English, but I was not that used to be all the time speaking in English. And I had headaches for two months. I remember spending a lot of time, much more than I should probably, 
preparing all the meetings that I was going to have because at the end, you need to stop thinking in Spanish and be able to think in English. And that's one thing that probably requires more time for someone that is a foreigner. But, you know, you need to be ready to spend more time on things that probably others would. But I think it's not a waste of time by any means. And the second thing that I remember doing is being out there. And that's something that I learned a lot from my New York City experience is that you need to be out there. You need to network. You need to have your friends from work. You need to have people you trust in the private equity world. For me, those two things were really, really important. One is spend time on preparing things and be ready for everything that could come in a meeting because then you will feel much more comfortable. And then the second one would be networking. That's super important. And obviously, you know, when you are an investment professional in private equity, there are analytical skills that you always have to develop, that you always have to improve and be able to assess what's a good investment and what's a bad investment. But you should have that even if you are in your hometown working for a private equity firm. But for me, the two main things is be ready even if it takes more time from you. And the second one is networking, networking, networking. Mm -hmm. It is definitely getting out. That's a big part of it, right? Getting out of the comfort zone. If you don't feel that you dominate a language or you feel, you know, maybe a little bit less confident in another language, you have to work past that. When you look back and you've been in the US for the last six years or so, and this piggybacks off of the last things that you said, but you know, is there anything that you would tell Rocio in 2016, now that you have the benefit of hindsight? Obviously, I would say be more confident because obviously, yeah, now after six years here, over five years in Chile, I'm confident now and I know what I'm doing. But if I have to tell Rocio the first day that I arrived to New York City, be patient, work hard, be more confident because it's true. You are going to make it, but you just have to be a little bit patient. And obviously, I remember every time that I was having a meeting or I was going to some drinks or to some networking event, I was shaken because I didn't know how to behave. I didn't know if my English was good enough. I didn't know anyone there and I didn't know how I'm going to behave. And I think if I look six years back, I was just right. Everything was going to work. That would be my main advice. Yes, you should work hard, but you should be more confident in yourself. Isn't that funny that you said that and you said, oh, I would shake and you'd get nervous. Was there at any point someone that ever said something to you that made you feel those nerves? Not really. I mean, I remember some meetings where I was mixing some words in English with Spanish and so on and so forth. And everyone was laughing. But not laughing at me, but laughing at the situation because I was also laughing. But no one said anything to me, obviously. Obviously, it's really clear when you are in a meeting that I'm from Spain and everyone can tell because of my accent. But no one was rude to me and I never felt anyone was uncomfortable around me or anything like that. I mean, it was just myself thinking that I was not good enough. That's the problem. And that's what I've noticed that we sometimes have this perception of ourselves that is not shared by anyone else. Because I've had that too, where you get really nervous and you're shaking and you think, what will they think of me? 
And in the end, it's just in your mind. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I can feel that everyone appreciates the effort that any foreigner would do when trying to make it through in another country. Now that I have a strong network in the private equity business, everyone tells me, you're such a rocket star because you tried and you made it and at least you tried. It's not that common. I mean, on the contrary, people are not thinking anything bad about you, but they truly appreciate the effort that you are making. Yeah, absolutely. All these conversations and from my own experience, everything that may limit us tends to be in our minds, right? It tends to be something that just limiting beliefs, right? You obviously overcame that and got past that. You clearly overcame that because in 2021, you were included in the Next Gen Leaders of Secondaries by Private Equity International. So this award spotlights the 20 most influential people in secondaries, and you are just one of six women to make this list and the only MD on this list. So two questions, you know, what does being included on lists such as Next Gen mean to you? Let's start with that, and then we'll go into the next question. That was something that I was not expecting by any means. And I think everyone wanted to be on that list. Everyone that works on secondaries and Marshall in the U.S. wants to be in that list because it's a recognition of the hard work and being recognized that you are part of a really interesting part of the private equity market that is growing a lot. So that recognition is really well known within the secondary business. Having said that, I mean, I never thought about being on that list because there are a lot of people working in secondaries that have been in the U.S. since the beginning of their careers. So I never thought about it. Obviously, I know a lot of people from those lists over the years. And it's true that when that list was published in 2000 and in 2021, I didn't know that I was on the list. So I got a lot of congratulations emails from people and friends from the industry. And I remember I was... <laughs> this is funny because in the DMV in New York, trying to get my driving license, and I started getting a lot of congratulations emails. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And I asked a friend of mine, everyone is sending me this. Are we on the list? And I asked her, she also works on secondaries. And I asked her because she was not on the list in previous years. And I said, if I'm on the list, she's on the list too. And yes, we were both on the list. So I was really happy. I think it's a really good recognition. Obviously, being a foreigner and being on that list means that I have done something right. So I'm really happy. Okay, so what do you think? I mentioned that you were just one of six women to make this list. I want to know what you think it's going to take to increase the number of women on lists such as NextGen. If I'm honest, I think there has been a huge improvement over the years. Because if you think about that list in previous years, probably you know there were not so many. So that's one point that I want to highlight here because I think there are 20 people on that list. Obviously, majority of male and just six women. But if you think about previous years, probably there were much less women on that list. So there has been an improvement, obviously. What I think is important, and obviously I tried to do it with all my female colleagues, is that we need to be sure that no one is alone in the sense that I felt that in the past, right? I was the only woman 
in a room. That can't happen any longer. And I think being out there trying to support all the female candidates that you may have for any given role or also trying to support the ones that are in your team because I have several associates, directors in my team that I try to help them. It's not that I want to guide them or anything like that. I mean, they have to make their own careers and if they want to have an international career, it's fine. If they want to be Jesse Marie or wherever they want to be, it's fine. But I want them to understand that there is someone that fully understands their situation and feels the same way and wants to help them. I think flexibility is really important for everyone, right? Not only for women, but also for men after everything like the Zoom calls and so on and so forth. But I think that given more flexibility will help. But if I'm honest, I think it's something that women need to understand that this is also for us. It's not just a male job, but it's something that we can do and we will be really good at it. And obviously it requires working really hard, but you can make it. And we shouldn't be afraid of anything. Being flexible will help a lot. So I think it's a combination. One is obviously supporting all what we have in terms of female talents in our teams, but also trying to retain them and be flexible with their needs and explaining to them that this is something that they can do. Why not? I mean, it is perfectly achievable if they want to. You can obviously have a really, really good balance if you want with your personal life. So it's not just a matter of just working. You can have a personal life too. Do you think that there is a big misconception about that? I think so. Obviously, it's hard in the sense of traveling because it requires to travel. And that's obviously something that you need to embrace and you have to like because not everyone likes traveling for work. But I think that probably a lot of female candidates do not understand or misunderstand what are the requirements and they think that it's not for them mm-hmm. because it requires a lot. And I don't think that's the case. I think we can do it too. Yeah. I had an interesting conversation last week with a graduating senior from a really great school. I thought she was really great and it was just a networking call. And she is kind of entertaining her career path or, you know, ideas in terms of, okay, what makes sense for me? What do I like to do? And one of the things that she said to me was she wants to come into private equity, but she's like, I don't really want to go the investment banking route. Like, that's not the route I really want to go. I don't want to have to choose between family and career. And that stopped me because I thought this is like a fabulous young woman out of a really good school with a great GPA, really promising, but she's already turned off by potential career into the space because of the fact that she thinks that she's going to have to choose. And so I wrote a whole post about it, (laughs) about, okay, this is part of the problems. That means that we need to, like you said, we need to make it really clear that you can find the balance. It's not necessarily easy at this point, right? But it is certainly possible that you made me think about her because I thought it stopped me. I have met such wonderful women in the industry with kids that they have done a lot of things, really cool things in their careers. And I think it's possible. 
we need flexibility, obviously, but I think it's possible. And I mean, if all those women that I've met over the years made it, why not others? I think it's possible. Yeah. So this kind of leads me to my final question. From your perspective, what's one action? I mean, there's many actions that can be taken, but what's one action that LPs can start taking to help increase diversity in the space? I think they are already doing so, if I'm honest, because I'm seeing more and more investors that are always asking about diversity when, you know, meeting GPs. And that's really important. And I think, you know, having diversity in an investment team makes that team stronger. And that would mean that they will make better decisions in terms of investments. So I think it's really important. But I think LPs are already asking for that. It hasn't been just one, but, you know, I have had several meetings with LPs that always ask about diversity in the team. And this is also something that I ask for when meeting anyone in the private equity industry. And when I see the teams are only, I'm sorry for this, but white men in the team, it's something that surprised me right now. And I always ask why there is no diversity in this team. Well, if you think when I started over 15 years ago, that was the common thing, right? Diversity was not a thing. No one was asking why everyone looks the same in the team page and so on and so forth. So I think LPs are already asking for that. Probably it's not a deal breaker per se now. You know, if there is no diversity, they would invest anyway if the returns are there and so on and so forth. But I think it's becoming more and more important. And when you are thinking about two firms that are exactly the same, but one is more diverse than the other, other, I think LPs already have in mind that they should support diversity. Mm -hmm. Do you think there needs to be perhaps greater pressure or demand on the LP side to the GPs to, let's just say, like clearly set goals or articulate, clearly set goals and kind of make it more of a communicated, you know, because credibility is action, right? So to kind of incentivize them to take more action with it. I truly believe that everyone should do whatever they think is best because it's true that I obviously talk to UPs all the time and for some of them, they are making the effort, I mean, a huge effort to hire diverse candidates, but it's not easy. And I know a lot of GPs are struggling a little bit and by the way, I mean, telling the headhunter or the agent, like, I just want a female candidate or I want a diverse candidate, but it's difficult. So I would say, I think LPs should push for that. And it's really, really important that they are one of the actors in this improvement or movement to diversity, but setting up goals until the market changes a little bit, I think is tough, if I'm honest. Because I think the GPs in general understand the need of diversity and the good things that diversity will bring to the table. But until the market changes a little bit more and female candidates understand that they can have a good balance with personal life, also working in private equity, and we have more female candidates, it's going to be tough to meet goals. But I think the LPs are already requiring it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the way that I see it is they're certainly catalysts. 
they have that potential to really be the catalyst. I could do an entire podcast, <laughs> another episode <laughs> on like the challenges and what we can do, but that's a separate episode. <laughs> but Rocio, thank you for joining me today. I really love hearing your perspectives and your journey. My objective, of course, with the podcast is to kind of inspire others, not necessarily just women. In your case, I think there are many others beyond women that can identify with some of the challenges that you've experienced in your career path. But really, it's to inspire others from all sorts of backgrounds and help them to learn from those that have been able to successfully build the path for them. So thank you for taking the stage and sharing your international rock star journey. <laughs> thank you so much. It has been a pleasure to chat with you. And I'm glad that I maybe help some others to overcome all the fears that they may have. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Take the Stage and our special series, Ladies Who Rock. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you are a company or candidate who would like to work with career rock stars, reach out on LinkedIn or send an email to alexis at career-rockstars.com. Thanks again, and until next time.